State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Term Sheets. The Afrotech miniseries available on YouTube about venture capital in New York City. February 2020. I'm talking to Maisha Leak, head of founder and studio operations at Human Ventures, a venture fund part studio, part enterprise agency. During our conversation in her Park Avenue office, I asked Maisha about the differences between doing venture capital in New York City versus venture capital anywhere else. What are the pluses and minuses in the ecosystem of startup capital in the Big Apple? Um, I think that um, what's good about New York um, is the companies that we build, they tend to be further, a little bit beyond like team and dream. I think that has to do with New York's personality as a city, right? Um, we're the financial capital world, we're fast. Um, the expectation of it being done yesterday is a very real thing that seeps into um, the, uh, this community, and so people are more inclined, as opposed to in the valley, to show up with a thing. This is the core idea flushed out. This is how much money. I think that the investors are much more aggressive about proving, about getting an entrepreneur to prove out what they're doing before they write a check. I think that's good, right? That sort of validates what's being built. Um, I think the downside in New York is that is also our personality. We are a town that, on one hand, is really good about. Um, we have the financial industry, we have entrepreneurship, we have hustle. We also have, um, I'm gonna try not to curse. <laughs> we also have um, the BS of press. Yeah, we're, a com yeah. we're a community that marketing and branding is a thing that, that, is, uh, that is a part of our world. So I share that to say that there's a lot in this community 
that is held up in the press as a successful company, as a strong venture capital firm, as people who care about diversity, as and it's all just about the matter, all just an indicator of the last reporter they spoke to, not what they've actually done. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm gonna introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building, or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Jay Carter is co-founder and chief marketing officer at the One Music Fest, one of the only existing black-owned live music events in the country. And he's found a ton of success with his events expertise, finding partnerships with some of the biggest global brands like Adidas, Miller Coors, BMW, Heineken, and more. I asked Jay Carter about the representation of black entrepreneurs in the festival space. Being one of the few remaining that's black owned, what hurdles does he consistently find himself and others like him working to overcome? When I first had the concept and idea back in 08, you know, I, I mean, typically the first thing that I do, I look for mentorship, a uh, little direction. I had a, I had a brand marketing agency. Uh, I, I owned two clubs. Well, one was more a live music venue. One was more of a, a club, but a festival was just a different monster, man. And I just needed to, to figure out how to maneuver through it all. And I really couldn't find, well, not really, I couldn't find anybody that looked like us uh, in that space. So, you know, it's, 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 it's the old, old adage of sometimes instead of looking above, you gotta, you gotta look lateral. And uh, you really just kind of linked up with the people around me that, that, that shared my, my vision and, and embraced my idea. And, and we just kind of linked up and pushed forward, man, and try to make as much noise until, until the big boys noticed. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, um, what did you learn specifically about finding success early or maybe not early, you know, because I took it did take some years to actually break through. Oh, um, like, it definitely took some years, brother. <laughs> so, what did you learn about finding success? That if you look back fifteen years to that Jay Carter, that you wish he would have known then, because there are other people who are trying to make it in this business just like yourself, and likely a lot of that, you know, learning may be relatable to other industries. So, what did you learn? I mean, that's a great question, man. I think um, something that we don't do enough is I think we, we like finances is so taboo to us, right? And we, and, we, and we keep information close, right? We don't want to share it. Somebody may steal it or, you know, I mean, the, the what people we don't realize is that like you're the sauce, you're, you're, you're the secret sauce. So we have to learn how to kind of be more vulnerable and open and talk about our plans, our business and our ideas with, with folks who can potentially help us. It's not that I didn't do that. Actually, I did. That was the way we were able to get off the ground. But what I did not do, I didn't ask anybody for financial assistance or help or investment money. Mm. Right? And so you're I saying should... that that was important to ask for, not just guidance on how to spend it. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's folks out there that have the access to capital, uh, that know how to get capital. But a lot of times we, we, with projects that we're so passionate about, we say, you know, just get out of the way, I'll do it myself, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, you're not going to go about it with the same vigor as, as I, or the same care as I. Uh, so I was just kind of such into a zone. 
I was just all about pushing forward, where I probably should have stopped and said, you know what, I probably should raise a little bit of capital and go into this with maybe some financial partners as well. Because I mean, it, it, it took years for this thing to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was a passion project. It still is a passion project, but it definitely was a passion project uh, just because I felt it was something that was needed and it was just a huge void in just the programming of, of Black music uh, in the festival space. So probably should have looked for financial partners and support earlier on. I, I may not, I may have experienced faster growth, but I, I guess it's all a part of the story though, man. What was it about that that took so long? Was it because you wanted to keep more of it for yourself or you just didn't know how to go about getting those partners? It's that really, you know, and I think it's also, you know, with, with, with certain folks, I'm not going to say it was, it was prideful, but and I just had a conversation with someone earlier about that. Like sometimes we find it difficult to ask people for money. There's conventional money out there and there's, you know, non-traditional money out there where folks can, can are cool with, you know, invest in a certain amount of money and, and then just being a part of, of the growth plan. And they're not looking for a quick return and, you know, later on that year that they, they, they're willing to, to wait it out three, four, five, five years, uh, and or borrow money the traditional way or, uh, conventional way. So, you know, I ran into that probably about year four or five where people started saying, you know, you know, there's money out there for, for folks that's doing things like you. And actually there's banks out there that have billions of dollars set aside for like entertainment funds mm. and ventures. Uh, you just gotta know how to, you just have to know how to get after it. So, you know, uh, it probably took about five years for somebody to really kind of help me uh, and guide me through that process. Yeah, I want, I want to dig in there though, because it is such a key on, to, to the point of both those being an issue. One, wanting to hold on to more of the pie so that you can own it. And number two, not knowing how to get the capital from the people who have it. But I, I want to dig in on, on a couple of things you said there. And being able to know how to go reach those people is one thing, but having what they need to believe that your thing is going to pop could be wholly different. That's right. Um, in tech, you know, if you're building an app, you know, a lot of investors, depending on at which stage they want to see, okay, well, how many people are using it? You know, how, how often are they coming back to use it and et cetera. In the space of live event production, what success indicators do you find investors are looking for to say, okay, Jay Carter's the guy we want to put some fuel in the tank versus, you know, Joe over here who hasn't even started yet. Man, it's it's the the cart in front of the horse, right? Because they they want to see they want to see success. They want they're just they're solely about numbers, right? I mean, if you go to a bank, I mean, the first thing they, they want to know is well, what's, what's your credit score? How much collateral you got? You know, what you got in the bank? You know, will, will you do a personal guarantee on this? So you have to have history, right? So this was a concept and an idea that had no history, right? When I first started. And then in your earlier years, it's kind of like you're not hitting your financial numbers, right? So how do I take this to a bank and say, I need you to believe in me, let me have a million dollars. So then you'd have to go probably the non-traditional way to find to find investors. But still and yet, those investors want to see your books, right? So it, it, it was one of those things that's not really that I want more of the pie for myself, but 
I have to build a story that is proven in order to get people to come on board or to invest in me. So I almost have to invest everything that I have in it for people to believe and see, okay, this is a, this is a viable brand to, to invest in. But yeah, I, I, I did not have the track record. I didn't have the, the numbers and financial history to, to really ask folks. For, for money, unless, you know, they, they, they believe in, in me, they believe in the concept and want to come, come along for the ride. Uh, but that's, that's, that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to sell. Yeah. And so, and so I've talked to a lot of investors over the years and, and many of them, when they make investments, they've communicated that they're often betting on the horse, not the, the jockey, not the horse. So it's, it, they're betting on that entrepreneur, not necessarily the product, because so many times the product evolves and it changes and it morphs and it t- becomes something else. But if they're invested in Jay Carter, they believe Jay Carter is the guy who's going to figure it out no matter what the end, day, end of the day product looks like. In your space, what are, they, what are investors investing in? Are they investing in just Jay Carter, the person? Are they investing in your contact book that you're going to be able to get two chains to come and that you're going to be able to get outcast to show up or they you're going to be able to do this or are they investing in the the idea that we just need a conference here and we're looking for somebody a festival here and we're just looking for somebody who's putting one on what are they investing in yeah it's a it's a it's a little bit of both so that's what people say they invest, people invest in people they don't really invest in companies they got to believe in you so at this point, they would be investing in me, but, but also they're investing in the future, right? They're investing in the culture. We the it thing now, man. Like everybody want a piece of, of black culture, right? Uh, they, and, and they got to figure out a way to, to reach the people, the communities and talk to us. Um, and, and how do I do that in, in an authentic voice? So we are a true and through authentic African-American black owned music festival right that 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 through our, our marketing campaigns and media uh could can can reach a billion impressions a year um so it's okay these 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 folks have they got some legs well what's your plans are you guys expanding to other cities like what else are you all doing right so um and, and that's we spent a lot of time during the uh, the pandemic new, doing is what's next, right? Where, where are we going next? Other cities, I mean, we, uh, we, we, we launched our, our brand agency, uh, our second brand agency. Uh, so we were doing a lot of building during, during the pandemic. Um, and that's when investors wanna see, okay, I see what your books look like for one festival, but you know, if your capacity is 50,000, where's the growth? 50,000 is 50,000. Right. And that's what we've been putting together is the growth plan for OMF and OMF team. So seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. 
along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Yeah, um, you mentioned it, which I, which I love the concept of, you know, black people are the thing that people are trying to find or take advantage of, you know, that um, that impact. And so yeah. um, you're in Atlanta now. You've been in Atlanta for a long time, and, but you're from New York. Right. And could you have done what you're doing today as easily? Maybe it wasn't easy, but as easily as you're doing it in Atlanta, had you stayed in New York, like what unique value did being in the South provide to you that you might not have got anywhere else? I mean, the short answer is hell no. Uh, Atlanta is special. Atlanta is a, is a special place. And, you know, I born and raised in Harlem. And, and, you know, I'm sure you encountered more than enough New York people. Uh, either we, we, we rub you the wrong way or, or you love us to death. Um, but, you know, folks from New York, man, they, you know, they, they think that's the, the, the percent of the world. Yeah. Uh, and some, some, in some aspects it is. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, Atlanta is special. You can't travel anywhere in the world and say, you know what, this place feels like Atlanta. The hell it does. Uh, I mean, from your black mayors, to your black chief police, to your, the, the fire department. I mean, you know, a black, a black man brought the 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 olympics to you know put atlanta on a, on a world map in 19 
you know, 96, you know, it was a, a team of folks that looked like, like us. And when we moved throughout the city and look at the business owners and entrepreneurs and, and, and the city councilmen, uh, you know, I don't care if you're in the, you know, in, in, in the throes and in, in, in the, in the in, in the back of the restaurant store to the bus boy or the person that actually owns the, the entire building. A lot of them are black, yeah. you know? Uh, so I just say it's, it's a special place and where if you are within the right circles, everyone that you need is a call to away. Right. Um, could I, could I, could I have scheduled a sit down with the mayor in New York? It'd been tough probably not it's hard a lot harder a lot harder i'm sure right. you know what i'm saying in, in atlanta we can go out for drinks it's just a different it's a different it's a different beast man um so maybe it could have gotten done in, in in new york but i think atlanta as far as the culture embracing ideas uh, especially around music and culture or fashion and art like Atlanta's hungry for it, man. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it turned the pandemic. Shit, Atlanta turned into it's Cancun, man. Everybody's coming to Atlanta. Atlanta was wide open, just in the clubs. And it's just a social spot. And, 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 and despite what they have in the news, it, it is a safe place for Black folks to thrive and grow, find, find who they are, and, and develop and launch ideas. You mentioned COVID and I wonder, like, I, I do believe every crisis presents opportunities that we probably wouldn't have foresaw otherwise. Um, what did this pandemic provide to the event space that otherwise you wouldn't even be considering? I told, told the team, I said, this pandemic will expose your weaknesses. It will expose the things that you should have been paying attention to that now you're forced to pay attention to, right? For years, we have been talking about streaming, developing digital platforms uh, for years. And it's like, ah, we'll get to it, right? We'll figure it out, right? We're good, we're good. Uh, all the live events we're doing are popping and moving. Uh, and then it was like, oh, they just got punched in the face. And it's like, ah, sit down, slow down a little bit and, uh, and sharpen your tools and, and figure out other components and aspects of your, of your business. I think it made us uh, hone in on tightening up our quote-unquote system internally. It made us get creative in ways that we should have gotten creative with earlier. Uh, I mean, we launched a, a virtual festival event during COVID that uh, is actually doing extremely well, and now it's going to turn into a, a live event in 2022 um, and properly called uh, At The Crib Fest. We've had everybody from... Tobey and the Wigwe to Ari Lennox to Roe James to Lucky Day. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, we attached one of our brand partners to it, uh, and it's one of their leading digital platforms that they use to kind of, you know, reach the uh, reach the black community. And the other part of that conversation, we said it's it's going to expose our weaknesses, but I also said that the creatives will be the ones that's going to win during this pandemic. People that can kind of think outside of the box and do some different shit are the ones that's going to win. Yeah, and to, and to that point, you know, how do you imagine um, technologies like virtual reality and augmented reality um, might create unique opportunities for Black festivals going forward? 
I mean, the numbers are, are, go, are rising on, on the, you know, the headsets, Oculus and all that stuff and AR and VR. Um, is that something you're paying a lot of attention to these days or is it you don't maybe anticipate it to be disruptive in like the near term? I mean, between you and I, we filmed, you know, 2019 in 360 VR, right? So we, we filmed it on regular camera, but we also filmed it in, in, in 360 VR. You can't find any hip hop content in 360 VR, but we got it. You know, you can't find Gucci Man on 360 VR. You can't find a 360 Mafia reunion on, you know, on, on 360 VR. But but um, but we got it. Um, so we 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 have been interested in that space for for a while. Um, but we're not buying the hardware, man. That's the thing. You know, we, we I, I don't know how many friends you got that, that look like us. You roll their crib and you see, you know, VR headsets just yeah. laying around. Yeah, I have uh, it, but not a lot of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Or consuming that kind of content. Yeah. Uh, so I think the it's kind of like the people have to catch up to the technology. But if you're building a, a database uh, of this kind of content and information, it's going to be worth something today. Yeah, let's let's go in there because I wonder how much should you people and people in your shoes, particularly black folks who are looking to capitalize on the long term of these opportunities. How much should we be paying attention to something that might be nascent today, but will tomorrow be humongous? Because I think if you think about it, to your point, if you were doing this, you got 2019 Gucci Mane and vr and you got 360 degree vr that's gonna be worth something you know mm. at, after a period of time it's worth something today but you know in the grand scheme this is something nobody else has um and that's a moment in time that you can't replicate right and so how how should we be thinking about the opportunities that will be that are available now but will be valuable going forward as black entrepreneurs and innovators yeah and and we we have to get better at doing that as well. I mean, a lot of times we we, we look for the quick hit um, rather than the, the the ten, the five, ten, fifteen year plan. Um, but we we got to look at what's coming and get in front of that wave because we we already create the culture. We already create all the cool shit, you know. They, I mean, they used to laugh at us when we put TVs in our car and and and, and twenty one inch rims. You know what I'm saying? Now, now, now everything guys, comes that way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh. Do, do, do you want the luxury package? Do you want the, the platinum package with the TVs and uh, do you want the 20 inch alloys? Right. 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 Well, we've been doing that, man. But we just, you know, we have the ideas, we have the creativities, but we got to figure out how to, how to own it. Right. How to get, get, get in front of the wave that's coming. So it is understanding business, the fundamentals of business and, and, and positioning yourself to win, you know, so uh how do you do that it's a great question man um yeah. but but it's it's i mean stay i mean staying abreast on on technology what's coming down the pipeline i mean we all called elon musk insane you know but uh i mean he's 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 thinking 20 years down the road into the future man yeah um and so and, and sometimes you don't have to own it Maybe you just want to buy a little piece of it, you know? Uh, so 
read the digest, read the, the, uh, the, the, the technology uh, digest of, of what's coming, see who's investing in what. And a lot of times just, just being close to the conversation will, will, will help you win, right? Like, I mean, it's, Elon ain't in the business of losing. Folks like Jay-Z ain't into the business of losing, you know? What is he building out? What does he invest his money into? You know, $3,000 at the club, take your $3,000, man, and, and invest it into that cannabis company that, that, that he just launched. You know what I'm saying? Well, not just launched, but, you know, align yourself with, 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 with forward-thinking folks that are, that are used to winning. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Entrepreneurs um, often dabble their way to finding their success, even if they aren't intentionally dabbling. They're, they're trying things, hoping, hoping that the thing that they're working on is the thing that makes it right. And your journey includes things like, you know, putting on these DJ, you know, festival, mini DJ festivals, gathering DJs from different uh, backgrounds and music verticals. And um, that's what Soul Fusion was correct, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. went back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Soul Fusion and um, even the early days of, you know, you doing uh, uh, music, live music promotions. And I wonder, even with none of those being the thing that you ultimately did, 
how did you know early that the One Music Fest was the thing that, while it didn't have wild early successes, you knew that this was the thing that you should be doing longer term versus the other things that you were trying to make work over a longer period of time. And ultimately you kept, you, you figured out that it wasn't it. How did you know to keep going here? Growth, growth, uh, and listening to the audience. Uh, every year grew, every year for, for, for 10 years. It just, the attendance grew, um, more sponsors and brands were knocking on the door, looking to get involved. Um, and then also just, you know, you, you got to audit your audience as well, man, you know, uh, and, and getting the feedback and listening to them, it, it, we automatically knew that we had something different and something that's special. Um, and also everyone's trying to get into Atlanta. So if you can build this, because if, if we didn't build it, somebody from another city would have came in and just dropped the Black Festival right in the middle of Atlanta, right? And I've seen it happen far too much where, where outside businesses and, and, and forces come in and they just buy up Atlanta, eat it up, and they spit it out and move on. So I said, well, you know what? We need to have something home-based here that is it's ours, but the doors of the church are open everyone's invited, you know what I'm saying? But have but have it based and rooted in Atlanta and Atlanta culture. I mean, when we first started it, man, uh, I would say the first three, four years, every year the numbers would double, right? We get more media hits, we get some bigger artists, uh, bigger sponsors would come on board. It still wasn't turning to profit, but it was the growth, bro. I mean, just looking at the steady line of growth, I was about to quit. I mean, I tell this story a lot. I, I seriously was about to quit after 2014. We took a big hit, um, but we spent more on artists than we ever done. We moved into a bigger venue. Just the expenses look crazy on paper. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? Did I do? <laughs> this is insane. And you, we we rolled the dice, man. Uh, it was a felt like a great event, but it lost money, man. Um, but it was my wife that, that really kind of grounded me. And she said, look, you know, you can look at it as a loss or you can look at it as an investment, right? That money that you lost, look at that as you putting that money into building this brand. Um, you put too much into it thus far. And, and, and the numbers are showing the growth. I mean, it's there. So she was like, I wouldn't quit right now. I think you should keep going. I said, oh shit, bro. Yeah. At least I ain't getting kicked out of the house. So I'm you safe know. there. No, right. it's, that's such a valid point. And, I, and this is, a, I'm going to pose this as a comment first, but then I'm, I'm going to throw it to you as a question. I, I would, I would imagine, you know, because I've done this, you know, I've, I've looked at things that I've dealt with in my history, trying to build my thing. And, you know, I'm a very irregular journaler. Like I'll write things down, like what I'm going through in my life on, on my entrepreneurial journey. Then I'll look back six months, a year, two years later. And I'm like, I was dealing with that and that was frustrating. That little thing was frustrating. But at the time it was the biggest thing in the world. And right. I, I would imagine just based on what you just said, the expenses were crazy back in 2014. If, if you had those problems now, they would be small fry problems. I would right. imagine. Right. That's real. That is real. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta push through, man. Sometimes you just gotta push through uh, and, and light is right on the other side of that struggle on the other side of that door. And 
that next year was a year we flipped it and, and, and turned a profit and didn't look back since. So, so I, I, I would bet you would take the 2014 expenses that you thought were humongous at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and today, <laughs> I would, yeah, I'd embrace them, man. I would embrace the open arms, man. I wish. So, hey, it's, uh, but that's, and that's the nature of the festival business too, man, that you get caught up in, man. It's, it's continuous growth. So with that, of course, your, your, your risk is more risk, it's more expenses. But yeah, no, no one wants you to see you be the same every year. It's like, what's yeah. the, especially with all these new festivals kind of popping up in and yeah, you just got to keep it fresh and new. Yeah. And to your, to your point about, you know, continuing to push and continuing to get better and et cetera, I, I, I'm going to ask you to put on your motivational hat for a second, because, you know, just in having the challenges of being an entrepreneur to your point of, you always got to be pushing those 2014 expenses were massive in for that day, for that step in your journey. Right. And I would imagine your expenses today are ma- in, in the step massive in the step of your journey. And it, if you think about it, it never really gets easier. Like you're always leveling up and you're always being challenged. And do you think too many of us look for the day where, oh, this is nothing. Like I can write that check easy. And if you get to that place, are you in the wrong place or should it always be challenging? That's where you find growth in, in, in the challenges. And I, I tell my sons that, man. I said, if it's too easy for you, yeah, well, you're doing it wrong. You know, I mean, you want to be challenged. I think, I think going through a little bit of struggle is is where you is where you truly truly learn. Now, do I think life should be tough? No, I don't, I'm not saying that. Um, but I think the the moment the moment it gets too easy typically is a moment things get snatched away for some reason. In, in life, you're not really going to know what you're, what you're made of or what you're able to accomplish if you don't just, just, just try something new. I mean, there was a quote I saw the other day. It's like, you know, courage or bravery, I think it says, is, is understanding that it's, it's okay to suck at something. Because the first time you do anything, you're not going to do it well, right? So you got to be okay with sucking at something in order to get good at yeah. something, right? Yeah. But but once you get to that one level and it does start getting easy, right? It's yeah. time to go to the next level. It's time to Where you gonna suck again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So But the the one the one music fest motto um, is unity through music. And uh, which implies, you know, on on its face that you're working to bring together people from diverse backgrounds, perspectives, and et cetera, to all have, you know, a good time to sit on this wavelength of happiness and, you know, and cultural impact through music. And Absolutely. far too often, people don't believe that we can do it for everybody, that we can do them, that we can serve the mass market. And what is it that you are very conscious to do inside your daily work, your, you know, current career objective to be intentional at making your festival welcoming to all people so that it is mass market and culturally impactful across backgrounds. Yeah, from day one, that was our, our motto, was unity through through music. And initially it was, I guess, being from New York. As a child, I listened to everything, man. Like, you know, I was listening to, to to rock, I was listening to reggae, I was listening to house music, I was listening to hip hop. Uh, I was just exposed to a lot of different different music. 
And then in moving to around in, in Atlanta, what I saw was, you know, it'd be white night at this club on Friday, and it's black night on, on Saturday, and then it's it's Asian on 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 Sunday. And then this club played trap music, and then this club only played house, and, you know, and, and sometimes you would move into these different little pockets and you'll see about 5% of the same people that kind of know how to float and bounce in and out of different, different spaces. And then I was like, you know what, man, but, you know, if, if I know if I took any one of these, you know, these, this white guy, this white, white girl's phone and went through their playlist, I bet you it probably would be about 25, 35% overlap in some of the music we listen to. But we like to listen to it in our own little pockets and spaces, right? So I said, well, let me try this first in the black community, right? Let me take the people that just listen to trap music and people that just listen to soul and let me put all these artists together, right? And and see and just see what happens. Because I do think there's there's wealth and power that comes to us all connected and uniting, right? Um, you know, call it kumbaya or call it, you know, you know some some uh, some hippie mentality, but I said, you know what, I, you know, I think this, this will work. I think the same, I mean, hell, Jeezy listened to Sade, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, there was a, a group called Quadrant. I don't know if you familiar with Google, was, no. uh, out of Belgium, had them back in 2013, I think. Quadrant, white soul group. Hmm. That same year I had, I had, I had Joey Badass, right? And I walked into the trailer of Quadrant because it was about to hit the stage. I see jo- I see Joey in it. I'm like, what the fuck? I said, and they vibing off each other, taking pictures. And I said, yo, what you know about Quadrant? So he was hip on this Belgium soul band, right? And she was a fan of Joey Badass, this this 18-year-old kid out of Brooklyn, right? But you would have never known that. Right, just yeah. just from the outside looking in. So I was like, "Oh no, I get it, I get it." Like music is 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 one of the main things that kind of brings folks together. Yeah. Uh, so instead of it always being uh, the white man letting us come play in his house, I said, "All right, this 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 the black house." Yeah, right? yeah. Y'all are all are welcome to kick it, but but understand this is this is about black culture. But you're invited too. You know, just you know, wipe your feet at the door and and and, and act accordingly. Um, so, you know, that, that has always been our mission. And even without kind of just shoving it down people's throats, uh, you don't even have to talk about it no more. It's all, it's almost accepted and known, right? Like, yo, you go to one of these fest, it's going to be, it's going to be like this. It's going to be on some old HBCU homecoming meets Woodstock. That's, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, and, and to this day, you know, not knock on wood, we, we, we've never had any incidents. Love it. I love yeah. it. Um, I I am a very intentional app deleter. Like I will delete an app like at the minute it no longer becomes useful to me, right? And um you like you spent some time over the past few years like building, you know, native applications for your your festivals. And um a lot of people spend a lot of time and a lot of money building apps that serve the purposes of that thing, that service, that particular service, that particular a product. And I wonder what did you learn or what are you learning about how to keep people engaged and involved after the conference is over? 
if that's anything you spent time thinking about? A little bit, not, not via the app though, but that is a thought. I mean, it'd be great if we could keep folks engaged uh, through, through the app. Uh, and we may try to, I mean, hell, we don't pay for it at this point. Right. <laughs> um, but we, we have other programming that we do all throughout the year. Um, again, we were a brand agency first and one music fest was actually an activation we created for a brand and it just turned into a monster of its own. Uh, so through the brands that we work with, we, we do create culturally engaging, uh, events and activation all throughout the year. So, um, we probably do at least 20 events throughout the year, but one music fest is just the biggest one. Just because you're winning externally doesn't always mean you're winning internally. And I was reading this interview you did some years ago and you, and you were looking back, um, at 20, the 2010 um, event that you did. And, and there was the article talked about, it had like more than 2,500 people there, an impressive number. And, but you said in an interview, we took it on the chin that year. Um, we took it on the chin for five years, actually. But that's some advice that we got from the folks at Bonnaroo. Like if you can just survive for five years, you might see daylight. Another person told you, if you don't have $2 million in the bank to lose, don't do it. And you did not have $2 million in the bank to lose. Uh, looking right. back, how were you holding on to some stitch of thread to keep from falling? Because there's so many entrepreneurs who get into industries, particularly tech, you know, trying to build technology, build events, build, you know, activations or whatever it is that they're trying to do. And they see this mountain in front of them. And it may be lofty goals that they have, but if the expenses are mounting, the challenges are mounting, people aren't signing up as fast. Externally, things look fine. They look like the man. They, you know, on the cover of the magazines or whatever. Right. And, but internally, they see the issues that plague their business. What, it, what was it that you were doing that allowed you to hold on to the thread, to see this thing through to the other side, to where it's actually becoming viable? That's a great question, man. It's just being resolute, man, uh, and persevering through. I guess defeat is really when you just give up. I mean, we took it on the chin, but that was round one. I got a whole lot more rounds to fight. So, you know, it, it, it was a learning experience. I think where if, if I knew what I know now, 10 years ago, well, we all say that. I mean, as parents, as, as adults, we say, if I knew what I knew now then, but I knew that then. I just said, hey, I, you know, I'm still learning this thing. I don't have a mentor in this thing. I, I got a bunch of folks around me that believe in me and believe in the concept. Uh, and I'm not going to give up on this thing, right? So I had so much more to learn that I would be doing myself an injustice if I just stopped, right? Because I learned, I learned enough by, by, by the losses. I knew what I wanted this thing to become and be. Uh, I, I didn't have room to stop. Honestly, even after taking on a chin year one, it was never, a, it wasn't an inkling of thought to be like, I ain't doing this shit again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like, all right, how are we going to do this next year? Where are we going to take this? How are we going to grow this bad boy? You know, I mean, I'm going to tell you, 14 was the year I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but, but prior to that, I was like, nah, man, uh-uh. There's it's, 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 it's too much possibility for this thing. Uh, for me to pull out now, man. Uh, and I, I saw, I, I saw, I saw the long-term goals. Did I think I would end up here? Maybe, but I saw a long-term goal. 
of, of the brand and what it could mean to black culture and just Atlanta in general. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeart Media. And it's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savan Young. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at Afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop to Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week, so tap in. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money? Leave us five stars on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.